the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our Gospel reading today, we've heard these words. My son has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not, or they were not able, in the translation we had today. That's pretty scary stuff, sort of thing you see on the films, the Hollywood films and so on. Not the sort of thing that we would expect in our secular society today. And um, some people don't believe that demons exist and are active amongst us. But that's part of their activity is to be deceptive, to hide, to make us think that they're not there. Um, And so we need to be, as part of the Orthodox tradition, that we do believe in demons. And today we've had had the uh, story of Jesus in the Gospel. Um, We have the icon of um, St. John of the Ladder here today, which has got people climbing up the ladder and being pulled off by demons. And when you listen to the Synaxis today, uh, you'll hear more about demons. So demons are everywhere. And the Orthodox Church wants us to be worried about them. If you don't believe in demons, you will not be prepared to be involved in the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. So we need to believe so that we are prepared to fight the demons. Um, When I was in the military, we were coming across quite a bit of demonic activity in the military, would you believe? And I was asked to do a, a research into what was going on in the military. And when I presented my findings, one of the senior Anglicans who was in our group poo-hooed the whole thing. Didn't believe in that kind of thing. It's all psychological, blah, blah, blah. Um, So not everybody believes. But the orthodox tradition is that we believe. We believe that there are demons and we need to be aware of them and we need to fight them. Jesus believed in demons when he treated the boy, when he spoke to the demon. He didn't speak to the boy, he spoke to the demon. He saw the demon as a separate entity to the boy. St. Paul talks about spiritual warfare. The apostles were given authority over demons and they cast out demons. So it's there through the scriptures. It's there in our tradition. But uh, so you're not afraid, especially the children, so you're not afraid... um, I need to remind you of the fact that Jesus has authority over the demons. So if we're close to Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. And also, uh, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 4, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So he is greater than the demons. So if we stay close to Christ, we stay uh, faithful to our church and to our God, we have nothing to fear. Now, what I want to do today is to help you to remember my sermon today. We're going to start on a mountain top, we're going to come down to the valley, and then we're going to climb a ladder. That's how it's going to go today. We're starting on the mountain top because before today's gospel, Jesus was on Mount Tabor being transfigured. And he had three disciples with him, and they saw this. They were amazed. And St. Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, it is good that we are here. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build three buildings here and let's stay here in this wonderful place. But Jesus said, no, we've got a mission. We have to go out. And you, so he brought them down from the mountaintop experience into the valley. And what did he find when he got into the valley? The disciples were, were arguing with the scribes. The scribes were ridiculi- ridiculing them because they hadn't been able to cast out a demon. Uh, there was a desperate father who wanted healing for his son, but he couldn't get it. And uh, the, the boy was demon-possessed. And uh, Jesus, this is one of the times, one of the few times where Jesus seems to be a bit exasperated by the whole situation. How long have I got to be with you? He's just come down from his mountaintop experience where God is saying, this is your mission. And he revealed, revealed himself. He had Moses and Elijah appeared to him and he comes down and there's this hopeless situation. Isn't this like, isn't this like our experience sometimes? We come to church, we think, oh, it's wonderful in church. Oh, I wish I could stay here all the time. And you go home and you find your children are demon-possessed. I'm joking. But... <laughs> But you know what I mean, you know. I remember one, one time we were here, we had a wonderful service. I went out the back. We used to park out the back here one stage. And I went out the back and the parking inspectors had come around and they put parking tickets on everybody's car around the back. And suddenly I kind of lost my wonderful feeling of being on Mount Table. <laughs> That's life. That's the way it is. The liturgy uh, doesn't finish at the end of the liturgy, if you know what I mean. It continues out into the world. Jesus didn't stay on Mount Tabor. He didn't keep the disciples up there. He didn't say build a church up here and stay here. He took them back down into the valley, into the world, into the battle where the demons were active, where they had, uh, they were, they had influence over people. Because that's why he came, to deal with these things. Now we have nothing to fear from the demons if we are in Christ. But there are people out there who are struggling and uh, who need help and we need to be able to help them. And we won't be able to help them if we're on top of the mountain, just on top of the mountain, or if we're not connected to Jesus or we're not being obedient to him. So how do we get out of this sort of terrible valley experience? And this is where I'm going to bring to you today uh, St. John Climacus. Today is St. John Climacus Sunday. And when we remember, it's the fourth Sunday of Lent, we remember St. John. The seventh century monastic, uh, probably the most influential monastic in the Orthodox Church. He was at Mount Sinai. And towards the end of his ministry, uh, another uh, uh, monastic asked him, could he write down all the things that he'd learnt so that he could pass it on to other monasteries and they could learn from his experience. So he wrote a book called uh, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. And it's in English now. He didn't write it in English. He wrote it in Greek, of course. But it's in English now and it's available. And we might be able to get a copy for you if you're interested. And it has 30 steps he has 30 steps to, to ascend the ladder to, um, to uh, the top ladder. The top rung on the ladder is love. Loving God, loving our neighbor fully. 
30 steps represent the 30 uh, years of Jesus' life before he, entered, he was baptized and he began his ministry. And there's all sorts of things in here. It's really worth living. And this, if we, follow the, if we follow his guidance, this is not just for the monastics. They read this every great Lent. So right now, the monastics are reading through this book uh, as they eat their meals in silence or whatever. But it's not just for the monastics. We can read this as well. And there's some very important lessons from this book that we can take with us. Um, one of them, I think, which we need to learn is um, very early on, I remember, um, I, remember I had a, a prayer lady once was given to me. She was praying that I would have the gift of discernment. And I thought it was wonderful. And uh, in, the, in the Western Protestant church, that's, you know, you, thank you, Lord, you know, give me the gift of discernment. But if you look at uh, St. John of the Ladders, order of the rungs, discernment is nearly up at the top, it's nearly the top rung. Uh, it's like turning the ladder upside down and starting with the ladder the wrong way up. We've got to start at the bottom if we're going to get to the top. And near the bottom are some very important things for us. The first three rungs are to do with our relationship with, our, with the world, with our families, and with our own will. And St. John tells us that we, we have to... How do we find the will of God? How do we find the will of God? Very difficult. And he said the, the way that he learned and taught in his monastery was that the monastics, the monks, the young monks, the novice monks, had to submit their will to their spiritual father. I mean, they do it, they do it very severely in the, in, the, in, the monk, in the monasteries. And when they do that, when they learn how to do that, to submit their will to their spiritual father, they learn how to submit their will to God. Now, we th I think um, I was listening to a, um, a talk by Father Seraphim from Mull Monastery the other day. Where I, this is where I got this idea from. He's in Scotland. And if you, if you go on and listen to it, it's worth listening to. Um, and he, he's saying that um, we think that we're able to choose and that we will always choose the right if we're told what's right and what's wrong. Well, we won't because the demons are trying to deceive us for a start. And um, also we're influenced by the world, by our families, by um, other things going on around us. He said, he, he, he used this illustration, like, it's like a drop. We're like a drop in the ocean. The drop in the ocean might think, yeah, I've got my own will, I can go wherever I want. But actually, the waves are moving around, even though you think you're stationary. And the wind is blowing you over here and so on. And we're in a culture which is blowing in all sorts of different directions. When, when it comes along to us and tells us something which is absolutely wrong, we know it's wrong. That's easy. But when they come along with something very subtle, then it's more difficult. Like there's a big sign out there. You've probably seen it. It says, if, if you find something you don't like, change it for good. Some of the sign's missing. I'm not quite sure what's happened to it. But at the end, it says, change it for good. That's good, isn't it? We all agree with that. Does anybody not want to change things for good? Anybody here not want to do that? No. But what do they mean by good? 
What do they mean by good? This is the challenge. What does a secular culture mean by good? So this is why we've got to be very careful uh, with how we respond to some of these things that come our way. So how do we, how do we as Orthodox, learn to um, grow in the will of God so that we can ascend the next rung up towards loving God and loving our neighbor as we should? Well, one of the things is um, to ask blessings for what we do when we're doing something different. So fasting, for example, if you, want, if you don't want to go along with a normal fasting rule, you ask the priest, uh, can I break or do it differently uh, because of this, that, or the other? And there are lots of people who have to have different rules. Things like that. You think, well, why do I have to do that? You know? But this is part of being orthodox. I am in submission to my bishop. Somebody asked me last week, said, why aren't you preaching so much these days? Um, it kind of, you know, we're, we're missing your preaching. I thought, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Not many people say that. Um, you know what they say about a priest? Um, six days invisible, one day incomprehensible. <laughs> but that's what they said. And I, I need to uh, explain why I, have, I am actually deliberately pulling back a bit from sermon preaching for the, for the moment. And why am I doing this? Because I'm in obedience to my bishop. Not that he's told me not to preach, but he's told me to find a building for us to go to. And it's taking a lot of time. It's taking a lot of attention. I spent you know, a long time yesterday talking to an owner of a property about this, this, this certain, the other. Now, I'm not trained to do this, and thankfully, a lot of people are helping me to do this. But I've got to do it. I've got to focus on it. And the, the pandemic last year... Uh, sort of made it clear that this is an urgent thing. We've got to do it because of the restrictions that the university put on us. They locked us out. We, we can't afford to have that again. We've got to find somewhere. And the bishop said, if you don't find a building, you won't survive. So I struggled against that, to be honest. I struggled against it. But I'm in obedience to the bishop. I have to do it. Many years ago, when I was an Anglican priest, um, I had two bishops wanting me to go in different directions. One of them wanted me to go into the army, which I didn't really want to do, to be honest. I just had seven years, ten years, eleven years, sorry, in the British army. I was kind of enjoying being a civilian for a while. And the other bishop wanted me to be in a, in a parish in Melbourne. And they, they're both saying, come my way, come my way. I didn't know what to do. So what I did was I said, bishops... You decide, I will do whatever you tell me. And I stepped back. So I don't know what happened, but eventually I got a call from the bishop of the forces. He said, you're coming into the army. And I went, oh. <laughs> but it wasn't, the, it wasn't what I would, would have chosen probably. But you know what? Once I was in the army, it was difficult. Seven years, quite challenging, um, quite demanding. Um, but I never once doubted that I was where God wanted me to be because I was in submission to my bishops. And I don't regret those seven years because it got me close to the ordinary Aussie, which I wasn't really close to as an Anglican, <laughs> to be honest. And it was really, really good experience, and I thank God for it. So this is how, this is how it works. Um, and 
I know it's difficult in our society because it's me, you know, me too, me this, me that, me whatever, I, 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 whatever. And so this is challenging for us in our culture. But this is the orthodox tradition. This is the orthodox way. If you want to become fully orthodox, then we have to submit. I have to submit to my bishop. Um, but it's a voluntary thing. Can you see that? It's a voluntary thing. Nobody's going to put me in jail if I don't do it. Oh, I suppose the bishop could um, defrock me, actually. He could. He could. But uh, it's up to you whether you want to submit to your priest or not. Okay? But that's one of the very first rungs on the ladder. So if you want to get out of the valley up to the top where Jesus is and so on, uh, where the Lord is, then this is a process we need to go through. This is, this is not in every church. This is a special thing in the Orthodox Church. And this is why I think the Orthodox Church is the future for Australia. Uh, the Western Church is struggling at the moment very badly, very difficult times for the Western Church. But what I see in the Orthodox Church is a strength and a discipline and a power uh, that God will use in the future. But it takes all of us to do the right thing. It's no, no good just for the priest to be doing the right thing. Everybody, all of us, have to play our part. Okay. And uh, here's a bit of advice from John's book. This is to everybody, not just to those in the desert. He says, do all the good you can. Do not speak evil of anyone. Do not steal from anyone. Do not lie to anyone. Do not be arrogant toward anyone. Do not hate anyone. Do not be absent from the divine services of the church. Be compassionate to the needy. Do not scandalize or offend anyone. Do not wreck another man's domestic happiness. In other words, do not commit adultery. Do, uh, be content with what your, your own wives and husbands give you. If you behave in this way, St. John says in the letter, you will not be far from the kingdom of heaven. So there's a bit of advice which I've just taken out of this book, which you can get a copy of if you want to. If you ask Meredith afterwards, the bookshop will be open. She'll be able to source some of those books for you. Jesus said to the, the father of the boy when he said, uh, the, the disciples couldn't do it. Uh, Jesus said to him, believe all things are possible to him who believes. And he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. St. John Chrysostom says this man had very weak faith. And he, he lists four reasons. He did have very weak, weak faith, but he had enough faith to bring his son to Jesus. He had enough faith to get that far. And we might be struggling with our faith, but you know what? If you didn't have any faith at all, you wouldn't be struggling. The fact that you're struggling means you've got faith. And you need to pray this prayer that Jesus prayed, uh, that the, 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 the Father played, prayed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And then we need to listen to Jesus' words. All things are possible to him who believes. Now, I just need to say this. Uh, it doesn't mean you can go up on top of a skyscraper 
and fly. It doesn't mean to say you're going to become a millionaire tomorrow. It means that what God has promised, he will fulfill. And he said he, he wills that all men be saved. You want to be saved? You can be saved. You're struggling? That's fine. Keep struggling. He who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus said. That's a promise. So we just keep struggling. That's wonderful, isn't it? And he will help us. He is with us. He will help us through our struggles, through our journey. It's very interesting in the epistle, there's one thing where it says that it is impossible for God. Jesus says, all things are possible with God. But in the epistle it says, it is impossible for God to... Remember what he said? It is impossible for God to lie. So he's made these promises. It's impossible for him to lie. He promised that he would love us. He promised he would be with us. He promised that he would help us. He promised that we would be saved. So all we have to do is struggle. Okay? And it is a struggle. It is a struggle. But the promise is there and God will help us. Isn't that good? Okay. Now to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit be ascribed all might, majesty, dominion and praise now forever and forever.